Genesis chapter 40, we read through verse 16, when we pick up there in verse 25, and Joseph said of Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one, though he had several dreams, two dreams, it's one to be interpreted. God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. How privileged it is when folks are shown what God is about to do. We are privileged people. You hold in your hands the complete revelation of God and these things God is about to do. We know that the Lord Jesus will come again. We know that there are many things that have not come to pass, but God is always about doing what he is going to do, working his sovereign will in spite of circumstances, in spite of kings, dominions, individuals. And jo- Joseph tells them the seven good cows that ate, were eaten by the, the other ones were seven years of famine. He goes and explains exactly what's going to take place. And then not only does he tell him this prophecy of what God is about to do in verse 33, he says, Now let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land And take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. Joseph gives Pharaoh a scheme of how to interact and how to circumvent the great famine that's going to come. Divide the kingdom into districts. The Egyptians and other countries were used to having a tithe tax. People were to to pay a tithe of a tax and that's how they supported themselves. Joseph suggests an extra So that would be 20%. It would be universal, and yet no one would be overly burdened. And they would use that money not only to grow more grain, but to buy more grain. They would put this in in storage for the seven lean years that are to come. Let them gather, verse 35, all the food of those good years that come. Lay up corn, and that word for corn, of course, is grain, not just the corn that you think of. Under the hand of Pharaoh, and let let them keep food in the cities and that food shall be for stored to the land against seven years of famine that shall be in Egypt. In verse 38, Pharaoh asked and said unto his servants, can we find such an one as this is, a man in whom the spirit of God is? What a question. That a question that every generation asks. We need these kind of faithful ministers Can we find one in whom the Spirit of God rests and who has the wisdom of God? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Now this is not flattery. Joseph is telling you would know when you find someone who is to be put over that. You're the leader. He's reminding Pharaoh that God gives leadership. He's allowed you to be king. And so you need to find someone to do this. Thou shalt be over my house, he tells them, and according unto thy word and all thy people, Pharaoh tells Joseph, you're the man. I don't think that Joseph is trying to set himself up, but Pharaoh finds that no one else, none of his wise men, none of his advisors could tell him what the dream meant and what the interpretation of it was and then give a plan of action. And so Joseph, by his own ability to tell him what the dream meant, and then he gave him the interpretation of it. Only God can do that. And so he chose him. And we find out he gives them the signet ring. That was Joseph's ability to sign checks in our day and time on all the transactions that were done throughout the entire kingdom. 
from a little shepherd boy of 17 years of age whose brother sold him into bondage and now he is the right hand advisor to the king of the most mighty nation on earth here's my ring this is my debit card this is the key to all of my finances whatever you decide to do you do it he put joseph over all the other men that were to divide the kingdom and he gave him the gold chain about his neck and notice in verse 42 that the we might use the word irony, but this is not irony. Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and made him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee, and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. His father had given him a coat, hadn't he? A beautiful, embroidered coat of supervisory over his brothers. He was too young for it. He wasn't ready for it. His father put him in a bad place. And uh, God had to take him out of that and circumvent what uh, Jacob would have done in Joseph's life. And here he is again, 30 years later, and a robe is being put upon him now god does not always restore what has been taken from us exactly but he always does much much more our gracious heavenly father this is your word would you open our hearts to it today teach every soul under the sound of my voice would the Spirit of God have full authority with this preacher and with our ears? We open our hearts and we invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and guide. We pray in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Joseph stayed in prison because of false accusation of Potiphar's wife for over 13 years. Now, if you were to dissect your life into decades and add three years to it, think about a decade of time, 13 years of being sequestered. We hear from time to time people who've been falsely charged or accused and because of DNA evidence and whatever the circumstances, the courts have found that they were falsely accused and let out and a large portion of their life has been erased, if you will, or are put aside and you think of 13 years passing and and Joseph has no human indication or hope whatsoever that his circumstances will change the last he said was to two men who were from the the king's household and evidently there's been a new pharaoh since the the butler and the baker the the cupbearer the, the food taster and the the cook of a pharaoh have uh, been released Joseph interpreted their dreams. One of them died. He said, your head will be lifted up, and it was. And the other has forgotten all about Joseph. We might have timetables and goals in, in our lives, and this is all fine, but, but God has his own timetable. Have you noticed that? And they may be quite different than ours. If your to-do list and God's may not be the same. You'll notice how when you have one, sometimes that day is interrupted, and you'll you'll find out, oh, this is what God had planned for this day instead of what I had planned. 
Sometimes it's not just an interruption in a day. It's a, a detour, we might say, in life that takes us for a period of time out of the way, off course. And we might think while going through that or looking at it, this is not helping my, my grand scheme of life, my five-year plan, my, my goal of whatever it is that I plan to be or do. The only thing for us to do is to get on God's timetable. And sometimes that's difficult, isn't it? Sometimes we might not know exactly how to do that. And the only thing to do is to submit to his game plan and his interventions and let him do his perfect work because Joseph could not change his circumstances. There's, there's no lawyer he could hire. There's no, no one or no thing that can change where he finds himself. God does all things well. Let's say that together. He does all things well. Sometimes we feel like we're ready for something that God does not, or knows that we're not ready for. I'm sure that when Joseph put on the supervisor's coat, that, that beautiful, expensive robe that his father gave him many years before, which indicated, by the way, that he was circumventing all of his older brothers and he would now be head of the family, the father's right hand, making all the decisions about the business, and uh, he would receive a double portion of all that the father had. It didn't go over very well, did it? Joseph may have thought, well, if daddy thinks I'm ready and uh, the circumstances are that I am ready, but, but he wasn't. And even in the Lord's work, sometimes because we, just because we maintain certain spiritual gifts are evident in a young person or the, whatever it may be, the unwise sometime around them may thrust them into places of responsibility that they're not ready for. Sometimes youthfulness, and though we, we praise the Lord for youth and those who the Lord calls early and evidences his spiritual gifts in their lives, sometimes youthfulness will become impatient with what they see as God's interruptions, with, God, with programs or training or things that God has in line for us to be what he wants us to be. And sometimes not just the youth, older people who have their, their plans interrupted may, may look at it in that way. But the life of Joseph and the experience that God allows him to go through while he's in prison and, and the whole scheme of his life, when God allows him to endure, show us that God is at work in our lives even when we're shut away, even when we're not in circulation even when the things that we know and love to do are taken away from us, even when it seems like there's absolutely no purpose in this parenthesis, this period of time, this place where we are, what good could come of 13 years locked away in prison? Jacob would have ruined Joseph if he'd been left in that home. And so God wisely intervenes in a drastic way. Have you noticed that sometimes God does have to do drastic thing in, things in our lives? Praise his name is not every day or often, but sometimes there, there comes a situation like this that is beyond our control, and all we can say is God is at work because I can't do anything about it. I can't control these circumstances. God intervenes and begins to perfect us. Joseph was 17 when he was given that beautiful, expensive, multicolored, embroidered coat of authority and privilege over his brothers. No doubt he thought he was ready. Who wouldn't want that? But the Lord had a program of training 
and perfecting uh, even dire circumstances that Joseph was going to go through before he could pass and be ready for the place that God had prepared for him. Aren't you glad that God sees all things from every perspective? We can only look backward up until now, and we can learn much from that. But from here to eternity, we have to trust one who can see that. We cannot. God sees the end from the beginning, and he knows what he has prepared for us. God knows he's going to use Joseph in this very important position to save many lives, not just his brothers, but nations of people. Other people will come to Egypt during this time of famine. He was going to use Joseph in a very important way that, that would not have been brought to pass that he stayed at home and just ran the family business. Sometimes what we think is the top and the best, and that's where I want to be, falls so short for what God has prepared for us. During this time of imprisonment, Joseph learned the top of the list, as we've looked at, he learned patience, didn't he? I mean, if you're confined for 13 years in prison and all you can do is be there and mark time, although we know that he was very productive during that period of time, he learned patience. He had to submit to people and to things that he did not like and learn to accept circumstances that were beyond his control away from the doting eye of his father and the critical eye of his brother's. Either way, Joseph wouldn't have made it in that home, would he, under those circumstances. He learned not only patience, but he learned humility. His character had been maligned. I want you to know that that Joseph is in prison for something he did not do. It's an accusation. His character has been impugned. His name has been defamed by Potiphar's wife. False charges. That doesn't sit well with any of us. All of us would feel just enraged if we were in Joseph's place. And, and yet there was nothing he could do. He could not clear his name, and he had to suffer quietly. He couldn't write anybody. There was no congressman. There was no uh, right of appeal here. He was there, and as far as he knew, from Joseph's perspective, this is the end of the road. I will stay here till I die. This is it. He learned not only patience and humility. He learned dependence upon the Lord for God to supply his needs and to keep him safe. During this this time of rejection, he was rejected by his brothers and then for a period of time had it seemed a a respite of responsibility and usefulness and then he was falsely accused and put into prison. There were few, if any, real friends or fellowship. Can you imagine the the one or two acquaintances he made were released and and we, we, we had found favor with the keeper of the prison, but by and large... This is going to be a lonely time in Joseph's life. Do you know that there are periods of loneliness in our lives that, that, that people can't change that loneliness? This is a loneliness that, that God has imposed upon him. It's deprived him of the, the love of home and family and those who should be close and understanding. And, and there doesn't seem to be really any real friend in Joseph's life at this time. And when you're in that place, this time of rejection or a solitude or whatever, however you might want to describe it, we have to learn, as Joseph obviously did, he had to learn to encourage himself in the Lord. Part of spiritual growth is being able in a desert place in your life without all the trappings of feelings 
and things that might be conducive to feeling spiritual, whatever that is. Is being able to take the Word of God yourself and say, Lord, this is all I have is this Word of yours to me. And I'm crying out to you to, to lead me and guide me and to feed me and encourage me. As David later will say, the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. One of the key graces in the Christian life is perseverance. It's staying with the stuff, so to speak, continuing on under difficult circumstances and rejoicing in the Lord in spite of these things. Do you know there are preachers, pastors, Christians in prison across the world today without any chance of ever getting out or their circumstances changed for nothing more than doing what I'm doing today or as our brother last Lord's Day evening from India told us that it was against the law to, to give out the gospel and for a, a believer in Christ being bold and, and going ahead and, and sharing their faith with someone, there are people who are suffering who will never see life outside of those circumstances unless the Lord intervenes. This is not just Joseph in the Bible hundreds of years ago. This is very real today. And just because in this blessed and prosperous and easy land that we live in, we do not see it, doesn't mean we will not see it. And it doesn't mean there are countless sufferings just like this today. Is God not real anymore when they go to prison? When, when their life is drastically changed and they're no longer able to be with the husband or wife or family and friends, does the gospel not work anymore? I thought you were supposed to have a, a blessed life, a happy life, and, 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 and a life of ease, we often say. Is this what I get for serving the Lord? Are, are they not favored of God? Is there something wrong that, that they're suffering in dire circumstances, something wrong with their faith, something wrong with them. Perseverance is proof that we're genuinely converted, that, that we're truly the Lord's. And it does not mean that we will not have an eclipse of faith. We see some choice servants who did have an eclipse of faith. And aren't you glad that the Scripture records them for us too? Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, to sift you, but I have prayed for you. And when you've turned around, you'll preach to your brethren and be greatly used of the Lord. As the Apostle Paul testifies, none of these things move me. What was in that list of things that he mentioned? False to accuse, people who turned against him, stoned, left for shipwreck, left for dead, deprived of everything that most people would consider necessary to be happy in life, none of these things move me. What about believers in lands where disease ravages today? We think about those precious people in, in countries where Ebola and other incurable diseases ravage, people whose faith is just as real as yours, people who've been redeemed by the grace of God, who love him. It, it, think about, we could list all manner of things where all we can do is persevere. What did Joseph do during this 13-year period of what most would consider wasted time? I don't think you could interview anyone on earth who'd been locked away for 13 years who'd say, man, this has been the best time of my life. 
It was it's what I would have chosen if I could have. Not many people would look at it in that way. Hopefully a believer, as we're speaking today with the, the, the insight of the Holy Spirit, could see, well, it was for my good. But most people would look at it as a deprivation, as an injustice. But what did Joseph do during the, those years? We don't know. We do know this, that whatever was done in the prison, Joseph was the doer of it. I love that description that Joseph was so trusted, so uh, honest and responsible that the head of the prison put Joseph over everything. I guess over everything but the keys. I don't guess he had the keys to the front door, but uh, he may have had keys to sales. I don't know how that was. Some have described that it was under house arrest, that it was confined but not, not a dungeon, although the, the scripture uses that word dungeon if you were in prison for 13 years, I don't care where it was, you would call it a what? I mean, a dungeon, you know. I remember as a little boy, my older brothers and sisters, when they went to school, when they started school, before I started school, they said, well, we've got to go back to prison. Being the literalist that I am, I thought they were locked up every day. Well, they were, weren't they, kind of? It was a kind of a prison. But in my mind, it was the bars, you know, just bread to eat and water in a tin cup and that kind of thing. It just That's all I could see. What did he do? The Bible tells us in chapter 39 and verse 22 where it gives us the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners. So he was over the prisoners. I don't know if he had classes. I don't know what he did, but he, he, used his, he, he, he taught them. I'm sure he taught them what he knew, don't you? He was over all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. He was over the programs, <laughs> whatever they did. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because that the Lord was with him, with Joseph, and that, w- that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Now, the child of God has resources, if we've seen, that, that the unsaved did not have. We have his word, don't we? And we have the ability to divide it and understand it these precious promises, this living word that's sharper than a two-edged sword that is our very meat, our food. And we have the Lord's Spirit to guide us and to teach us these things. And we have the, the privilege of prayer. And God can prosper His people no matter what the physical limitations or circumstances they find themselves in. Do you see that here? 13 years, locked away, and yet... Joseph prospered. I don't know of a prosperity preacher on earth who would say prison is prosperity. That he had everything in abundance and and he was doing it right. But the Holy Spirit tells us he was in prison and there he flourished. And so we know his bank account didn't flourish. He didn't get a bunch of new vehicles while he was in prison or a few pieces of real estate to add to his portfolio, but he prospered. And so we see from this that God's view of prosperity and our human view of prosperity is obviously poles apart. The Bible tells us the blessing of the Lord maketh rich. And what? Is that all there is to it? And addeth no sorrow to it. When God does something... It is good. It's always good, isn't it? Because he is good. And so he's working on Joseph, depositing into his soul resources and revenue and abilities and graces 
that he never would have achieved running the family business in the coat of many colors or supervising Potiphar's affairs. What did Joseph do? He threw himself into doing what he could do. And, and I know this may sound simplistic, folks, but when we're totally limited in circumstances, what do we do? We do what we can do. Think about that. Diligently, he worked under the, the head of the prison. He made himself useful. He developed himself. He used the gifts and abilities. Obviously, Joseph had a gift of, of, of administration, and we could surmise about he had a way of seeing things and, and a way with people. He proved himself trustworthy. We know his character was impeccable. I mean, he could have sinned with Potiphar's wife, and no doubt nobody would have ever found out about that. He, he was trustworthy, honest. He was responsible. And while none of those things were his, he was prudent over them and managed them as if they were his, and it didn't go unnoticed. These are traits any of us can develop, no matter where we are, no matter what our circumstances is, and practice on our jobs. It doesn't take an unusual talent to be honest, does it? It, it may be unusual, but it doesn't take a high IQ to be honest. It doesn't take an MBA or whatever degree you may have to do things right and to be trustworthy and, and to, to be dependable and to do things excellently. We read that of Daniel and, the, and the, the, the other young people, Hebrews, who were taken into to captivity, that they had an excellent spirit about them. Their attitude toward life was, well, I'm a captive, but it doesn't mean I, I can't be productive or use my gifts and abilities. And where they were, they just set about being the best they could. And that's exactly what Joseph did. Some may be saying, well, brother, that's very simplistic, but that's what happened. And that's something you can do, well, no matter what your circumstances are. Lord, help me to, to see what you want me to see. Reveal to me what I need to know. Lead me, guide me, and help me to be excellent where I am. You don't have to go to a job training seminar to be an honest and hard worker. Do you? you don't have to take a class on, on ethics to do the right thing where you are. The prison warden saw all these character traits in Joseph, and they were remarkable. They were remarkable then. And they're remarkable in 2015 as well. I talk to businessmen all the time who say, Pastor, we just can't find people who'll come to work, let alone do the job just to be here regularly. But most importantly, God saw Joseph. He saw his attitude, took note of them, and was preparing a position of service for Joseph. Joseph was helpful to at least two other inmates do you know you can be a blessing to other people where you are, even though your circumstances are dire? These other guys who, who one was about to go out into eternity. And by the way, we never know those people that we're in, in, uh, intermingling with and talking to. Who knows who will be called into eternity tomorrow? What about our conversation or our lives would point them to the Lord, to eternal things of salvation and of Christ. The Pharaoh was upset with two of his closest advisors. The cupbearer was one of the closest people to the king at all times. He had to taste all of his food to make sure it wasn't poisoned. These were the days of intrigue and plots and no one trusted anyone. And so the cupbearer stood there the entire time of the meal, the closest uh, servant of the king, 
He overheard all conversation and over time in many situations became a trusted advisor and uh, very close to the king. The baker, the one who made the food, was also a very trusted uh, uh, position. And these two fell out of favor. Perhaps there was intrigue. There was a a false report that they were plotting to kill the, the king. And understandably, for whatever the reason, they were put into prison. Evidently, either the king never was convinced that the the cook was not in on it. For whatever reason, he did take his life. But Joseph ministered to these men before they were let out. And someone has said that that, that Joseph's words there at the end when he says, Remember me, when you get out of here, would you put in a good word for me? I've read some commentators who said that that's the only time in the Scripture, if you want to interpret that that way, that's the only time in the Scripture where Joseph lost complete faith in the Lord and began to look to men. I don't think that's necessarily what that is. I think if I was in Joseph's place and the only person I knew who knew somebody in authority and I'd help them out, I'd say, well, could you remember this, what went on right here one day when you get an opportunity? I don't fault that for him, but if it was, if there was a moment of weakness there, it certainly was understood, wasn't it? But I I think that we see all throughout scriptures, God expects us to be and asking someone to remember us is, is not a bad thing. In fact, the thief on the cross asked the Savior, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. And to everyone in the prison of sin this morning, outside of Christ, you cannot release yourself. You cannot stop your sin. You cannot change your circumstances. You're bound. Then there's no hope. Cry out to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who can change your eternal destiny. Look to Him by faith and say, remember me. Save me. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Unfortunately, Pharaoh beheaded the head baker But he restored the cupbearer, or his butler, to his position. But as we learn in verse 23 of chapter 40, the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was his because the Lord was with him. Over in chapter 40, the last last verse there, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph but forgot him. Not only did he not think to mention Joseph's plight or put in a good word for him, he didn't think of Joseph at all. He didn't come to mind. Did you know that when every human being fails you, every connection is lost, there's no one to put in a good word for you. When we think we know and every person that we could depend on fails us or forgets us, there is a God in heaven who knows the number of hairs on our heads. He knows how many steps we will take in a lifetime before we step over into glory. He knows our down-sitting and our uprising and our thoughts from afar. He totally understands us and never misunderstands us. He knows our lying down and our, our getting up, and he's acquainted with all of our ways, the psalmist says in Psalm 139. He goes on to say, There's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have beset me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Think of that gentle picture. 
There's no more gentle picture than to see a father placing his hand on his child's head or his shoulder. You've laid your hand upon me. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, God is speaking. He says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. That in itself is remarkable, that the creator and sustainer of the universe thinks individual thoughts about me. I know the thoughts I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you an expected end. He knows what the end will be. And he knows what he's doing in our life to get us to that place that he has prepared for us. Two years passed after the cupbearer got out. And Joseph is continually marking time. I'm sure he thought, well, I'll never be remembered where I am. There may be someone this morning that finds yourself in that situation. No one will ever think of me. Even God has forgotten me. Pharaoh has a series of unusual dreams that were so troubling. The Egyptians put much stock in dreams, and, and the Pharaohs had people just to interpret their dreams, and so the Lord uses this means to get his attention since that's what he took stock of. If, if God had come in some other way, the Pharaoh might have missed it. But So he troubled him with these dreams, and immediately he assembled his learned men and astronomers, astrologers, soothsayers, magicians, philosophers, teachers, professors. He convened all the combined wisdom of Egypt and says, what do you think about this? Seven skinny cows eat seven fat cows, and seven puny ears of corn or wheat eat the fat ones. What is that all about? I don't know. They may have thought it, but they didn't say it. You must have eaten pizza last night or Something didn't settle well with you. That's, that's a new one. That's, that's weird. We don't know. They, they had no answer for him. In verse 8, the Bible says that his spirit was troubled. He sent and called all the magicians and, and all the wise men his dream. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret unto Pharaoh. And then the ch- cupbearer, who is privy to all of this. You see, he stands at the Pharaoh's shoulder, his elbow. Every crumb, everything he needs, he didn't have to ask for something. He, he sees and foresees his need, and it's there. And he's overseeing and hearing all of this conversation because he's always privy to everything. And he... <clears throat> I, I have something to say. I was... I have, do remember my faults this day. I've wronged someone. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in prison in the ward of the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. In verse 11, we dreamed a dream, and he, we, he, this, he interpreted it. And there was a young man, a Hebrew, a servant to the captain of the guard. We told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams, to each man according to his dream. And it came to pass, as he interpreted it, it, it happened. And I was restored to my office and hit them, the, the butler, the, the baker he hanged, and Pharaoh sent for Joseph. Joseph shaved. It's amazing. The Egyptians were clean-shaven. The Hebrews grew a beard often, and so he is doing everything he can to present him. Don't you know, if you got called out of prison for after 13 years, whatever the custom of the people were, if it was to wear a tux or whatever it was, you'd try to find out what it is. He, he did the best he cleaned up. This is his moment. He's going before Pharaoh. 
He interpreted the Pharaoh's dreams and, and even took the liberty of making suggestions. Famine and drought was coming following seven years of bounty. And he tells the Pharaoh all that's going to take place. Through all these 13 years of waiting and con- are being confirmed in Joseph's life, this is his moment. And he speaks plainly, simply, boldly, accurately. He tells what he knows. Do you know that's all any witness is called to do? And when you're called to witness for Jesus Christ, tell your, the gospel and your testimony simply, plainly, boldly. I was speaking with a woman this week who is in a counseling situation. She has opportunities to share her faith, and these people were of a faith that they did not want to hear about the Bible. They didn't want to hear one Bible verse. And so she said, you know what I did? I just said, okay, I'll just tell you my testimony. This is what happened to me. And she gave, and she said the people, listen, when they would not hear the scripture, she gave her testimony, which was filled with the scripture of what God had done for her. And they listened. Many believers, when they find themselves in these kinds of circumstances, give up. They quit. They throw in the towel. Joseph must have been discouraged. He must have wondered, is this all there's ever going to be? This is how I'm going to live my life and end my life. Joseph humbly and reverently and plainly expressed his faith in God alone. It's not me, Pharaoh. He gave all the glory to God. Be careful to give the Lord the glory of all that you do. God has been at work in Joseph's life, and he's going to use him in an amazing and meaningful way. Joseph has been forgotten by his brothers, but God has not forgotten him or them. The whole plan of God in the life of the future of Israel is at stake at this moment. God is sovereign. He is absolutely in control completely can be trusted to work out all things for our good and his glory. William Cooper wrote, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-ending skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is in control of all your circumstances today. He has sustained you. He placed you on this earth. He decided when you'd be born, there's not a person in this room that had anything to do with your birth, where, when, or how. You're here by his design and by his enablement, and he has guided your steps through a myriad of, Ways and through the, the tapestry of the weaving of the threads of your life to this very hour. He is in control. For the child of God, he will see us clear through to the very end. Those outside of Christ, he's given you this opportunity to hear his word and the glorious gospel. There is a God in heaven 
who does all things well, who has all things in control. If you'll bow to him and trust him, trust his provision for salvation, there's salvation in none other but in Jesus Christ. There's no other name in heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And as the old song tells us, he will save you. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord, and he will surely give you rest by trusting in my word. No, trusting in his word. Only trust him. Only trust him. When should I trust him? Trust him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. Someone is wondering, can he save me? I've been in this prison so long. Prison of my sin, of my own making, my unbelief, my religious thinking, whatever it is. I've been in this prison so long. Is there a way out? There is a God in heaven who loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save you. Would you go to him just now and tell him your condition, tell him your case, tell him alone he is a a savior who loves to save. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Our gracious heavenly father, would you bless your word to our hearts, to the child of God who's discouraged and their circumstances has limited them and they see no other recourse. I pray, pray that you'd come to them with encouragement today. May the living word of God feed them and and brighten their lives and give them the strength to carry on. For that one, Lord, who is outside of Christ, they may be religious, they may have heard the word of God, they may even believe these things, but they have never been reconciled to you. Their sin has never been dealt with. They have mistakenly thought that if they just went to church or were around good people or were religious or, or, or something that they could, they could be right with you. But your word says that we must be made reconciled with you. And Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Your word says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Call upon the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, Lord, just now to that one who needs the Savior, like the thief on the cross in simple faith, may they cry out to you and trust you and you alone. For no one else can save but Jesus Christ. Lord, show them that they do not have to go somewhere or be somewhere, that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And that our Savior has made a way, who's bridged the gap, who's paid the price, and stands ready to save. Bless us, Lord, today, we pray. Bless your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.